Good morning. morning. Long time no see. (laughs) All right. Uh, I do want to start by actually saying that we are uh, very appreciative of being back. Um, And we have been welcomed back with open arms and everything. We just really enjoyed seeing you all once again. Uh, It's been great. Um, (laughs) I was semi-made fun of, but that's okay. Uh, back there, whenever we went and prayed over, uh, you know, and before the sermon and all like that, uh, Ron was like, well, have you forgot how this works? You need to get back here and do this and everything. And um, I forgot, honestly, this is being honest, I forgot the value of that, of people coming together with you to approach the, th- uh, the throne of the Lord together and just Man, the value in that just kind of hit me while they were praying over me back then. And then Howard did the same thing up here. Um, and then as I was sitting there, I'm pretty sure Sarah put her, her hand on me and prayed. but Or she was just saying, oh, good job. I, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, just the, the value of that is something that, i got to be honest, I really missed. And it just, oh, it just, I just felt the love through that. And so I just want to appreciate everyone who did that before uh, I came up here to preach. That was just great. And uh, anyways, uh, so... This morning, we're going to be in Judges 13. So if you want to go ahead and open the Bible, put your finger there, and then we're going to get there eventually. Um, I hope that didn't break, whatever that was. Uh, but okay, so last week, uh, David kind of stole my analogy, to be perfectly honest. I kind of, he, when he asked me to preach, he uh, read ahead, figured out where I was going to be. And so ch- chapter 13 is the story of the birth of Samson which is such an obvious superhero connection, and he just totally stole it, okay? And <laughs> I'm still pretty broken up about it, to be honest. Um, but, <laughs> but the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I read about it, I'm like, you know what? It wasn't a good comparison anyways. Uh, because most of the time when you think of like Superman, right? Because I think that was the image he put up last week, right? It was, it was Superman. When you think Superman, most of the time you think, hero, right? Or good guy. Like there's a, there's a few little stories where he turns bad, but most of the time he's the hero. He's the good guy, right? And you can always count on Superman, which is a totally cop-out superhero, by the way, even by comic book standards. Okay. Um, but you can always count on him. Whereas Samson, who's our own little like Christian Hercules, so to speak, is not that at all. Okay. Samson is not somebody that we actually can count on per se. All right. He goes back and forth and back and forth. And that's over just a couple chapters. Okay. He's, he's not the superhero. He's not the, he's not the hero in this story or any story. In fact, I wanted to use this analogy instead, because I think this is closer and I'm going to reveal something about my past that I know I'm going to get judged for. And that's okay. Um, whenever I was a kid, I was super into professional wrestling. Um, oh, yeah, all right, all right, come on. Uh, <laughs> I'm super into professional wrestling. I mean, we had like the country folk get together every Monday night so we could watch WCW Nitro, right? And we had a party at my grandpa's house, all right? Every Monday night. I mean, there was bean dip. You can't have parties without bean dip, right? There was bean dip. Most of the time we'd order pizza, something like that, right? And we'd get up there and we'd, we'd just sit down. It was like two hours for professional. I looked back and I was like, how did I sit there and watch that for two hours? I was that big. I don't know how I did that. Um, but looking back on it, it was like the thing that really always like 
pulled you in or the hook on those things was the drama that was associated with it. Had nothing to do with like the cool moves they would do or anything like that. Uh, Because people always say, you know, wrestling is fake, right? It's not fake. It's scripted. Okay. There's a difference. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> There's a difference. Uh, anyways, so uh, but that's how they'd hook you, right? Is the drama, the back and forth, the back and forth, the back and forth, right? So you'd have, uh, what would you call the, the, the good guys or the face, right? And then you'd have the bad guys, which is called the heel. I'm getting a huge glare from my wife right now. I want to point that out. Like if anyone's judging right now, it's her, okay? Uh, <laughs> but you have the face and the heel, which is the good guy and the bad guy. And the one thing that would always just completely destroy your heart is when your hero, the face, would turn bad, right? He'd come out and he'd do something. You'd just, woo, right? And you'd get these bad chants and it would just destroy you because he was your idol and you wanted to trust that, And that's what we see in Samson. He's this guy that all through our Sunday school little kid stories, right? He's our little, like he's a Christian Hercules that we want to just, like he's so cool, he's tough and all this. And he's not. He's an incomplete savior. He's an incomplete vision of what is to come. That's it. In fact, to take that a step further, Samson is simply the personification of what Israel is through the entire book of Judges. We see the cycle, right? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Hey. Over and over and over. And we see this also in the person of Samson. He does something really dumb And then turns around and kills like a thousand Philistines with a donkey bone. Back and forth, back and forth. And in fact, what we will eventually read here in chapter 13 is things just keep getting worse. Go ahead and leave that up for a little bit if you would. Because this area between oppression and peace and sin, it's no longer a circle as we're getting into chapter 13. In fact, it's starting to become more like a triangle. Because the area between the oppression and us actually being saved is getting longer and longer and worse and worse. And that's what we see as we are coming into chapter 13 with this trusted savior of Samson, who's actually just the beginning. So before we read into chapter, chapter 13, I want to go ahead and pray before we read into that. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that uh, just your word be heard, that your word be able to sink in, and that we understand that this is your word, and it should bear the weight as such. We thank you for this message this morning. We thank you for the story of Samson. And we ask you to just continue to guide us through this narrative. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, go ahead, if you would. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open that up. Let's get into Judges 13. 
We're going to start by just reading the first couple of verses. And I, I know we used to say this all the time. I think I heard David say it like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible on the uh, rack of the chair in front of you. If you would, go ahead and grab one of those if you would, because we, we do want you to read this. We want you to be in that. We want you to see this for yourselves. But I want to take this a step further. This isn't the notes. I just kind of thought about this. If you do have a Bible... And you hear that every time that's said, you're like, okay, yeah, I, I have the Bible. I don't need yours. Thanks. You know, it's a hardback. I don't do hardback anyways or whatever. Whatever. Take the Bible anyways. Do you know someone that needs a Bible? This is a very simple missional outreach that we could do. If you know someone that needs a Bible and that would benefit from being able to read God's word, how great of a gift would that be if you could simply provide one? That's very simple. And it would keep us in a really just active missional mind to say the word of God can go out because we are supposed to go therefore, right? The poster's still up there. It hasn't been taken down. I noticed that, right? We are supposed to go. What a simple way to go to take a simple podium Bible and give it to someone that you know would read it and needs it. Okay, so... We hear, I know we say that a lot. Like if you have, you don't have a Bible, take it home with you. That's our gift to you. It's like, it's our gift to anyone who needs the word. So if you know that, please take the Bible. Okay. Moving forward. All right. Judges 13. Let's go ahead and just read the first couple of verses real quick. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. Okay, we're going to just stop it there real quick. Has anyone uh, watched the Right Now Media video yet? Right Now Media video. Has anyone watched that yet? It's, it's okay if you haven't. This isn't like a test or anything. But, um, <laughs> so one of the main ways you know how to pronounce his name is how J.D. Greer pronounces it in his video. He goes, it's Manoah, not Moana. Don't get confused. And I was like, there, now I'll never forget that. Thanks. I appreciate that, JD. Uh, so anyway, so Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. Okay, so as we read these first couple verses, I'm sure there's uh, plenty of us that have some ears that are kind of perking up because we're seeing some similarities, right? So we're seeing the overall pattern that we've seen through the entire book of, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. We keep hitting on this. This is something that is happening, right? It's the cycle that we were seeing earlier. Again and again, good, bad, good, bad, flipping back and forth, right? But again, they have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, further uh, on from this, we'll see something in Samson that kind of mimics this, but it's actually even a step further. And I won't get into it too much, but um, where he says, she is right in my eyes when she talks about, he talks about Delilah, which is just kind of a further step of this concept that they have forgotten God. They've forgotten God, but eventually Samson not only forgets God, but purposely puts himself in the place of saying, I know what is good is evil, and that is all that matters. So we see it's, again, we see it's getting worse and worse and worse. Okay, so we see this pattern again, but we see a change to this pattern. This is the first time we see a numerical timeline put into it, right? So we see now that they've been given to the hands of the Philistines for 40 years, all right, again, here's another perk up. Bible nerd note, ready? 40 in the Bible is judgment, probation, okay? That's what that number represents. 40 days, 40, uh, uh, 40 days of temptation with Jesus, 40 years in the wilderness, right? The Bible likes to use numerical values like this, not to give us like these hard 
signs, everything, but sometimes it's just simply poetic. So we understand how the Bible is all tied together into one outstanding, lovely, wonderful narrative from beginning to end. Because we see these overlapping things that happen throughout it. Okay, so the 40 years we see that, that we know that the Israelites are put into this state of probation, so to speak. Okay, so that's what we see out of that. Um, the other thing we, uh, that was kind of really neat, and again, uh, there's some connections here, but right now I just kind of want to touch on it because it was kind of neat. Samson is from the tribe of Dan, right? He's a Danite, all right, which means judge. I thought that was interesting, right? Uh, Danites, we'll be uh, reading about them here in a couple of chapters. They do some really bad things. They actually end up acting like the Philistines, which is really cool. Um, but that's not important right now. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so he's so from the tribe of Dan, and because he is a judge, these are some overwhelming just kind of things we see from the beginning. But the one we're going to focus on is Samson's mother, who was barren. Now, this is a story we've heard a lot right? Abraham and Sarah, Rachel, all those, right? Plenty. Keep in mind that all of those nice famous stories that we hear about, you know, the barren mothers, stuff like that, this is actually one of the first ones. I think second, technically. So this is at the very beginning of this idea of the Lord jumping into the, uh, the, the narrative of a barren woman and it's only coming from the Lord, that kind of idea. So this is very early on in that concept. Um, but there are some pretty major differences between uh, like Sarah, for example, Rachel, specifically those two. Those are the two I really want to talk about. So specifically Sarah and Rachel on how Manoah's wife, because one, she doesn't even get a name, but Manoah's wife responds to how she even receives this news and how she um, is reacting to the fact that she is barren to begin with. For example, Rachel kind of complains. She goes and says, why won't you give me a child? And is really emotional about it. And it seems like Manoah's wife, all we do is kind of hop right into the fact that it's like, you're barren. She's like, yeah, I know. Like, it's just not a big deal, almost. It's, it's in a, the entire conversation between her and the angel is very matter-of-fact, point-blank, to the point. The whole conversation. There's very little emotion. There's very little fear. There's very little anything like that, which um, fear does not always equal respect. It literally can mean fear, okay? Um, but there's none of that, okay, in this conversation. As you see with other angel encounters. So there's a difference there, Okay. And then with Sarah, like for example, Sarah responds by saying, well, I can't have a child, so how about you go sleep around to give us a child? We don't see that either in this story. Because in this culture, the idea of a barren woman was very, a very shameful thing. And I, I know we've said this before, right? But it was a very shameful thing. But it was also a very scary thing. Because that's how the woman would have been taken care of in this culture in the, fu- in the future, right? So right now, this, she has no way of being taken, a, taken care of, anything like that. It just doesn't seem to bug her. At all. At least according to the text, because that's all we have. We have the text, right? That's what we got. Um, So yeah, like, so Rachel in Genesis 30, Sarah in Genesis 16, we see these two stories, but there are some, like I said, very big differences, not only from how they respond, but also how the angel himself speaks to her. There's a very big difference there as well. Okay, um, so that's a very interesting and very pointed thing that we are going to talk about because let's go ahead and read. Let's go ahead and read in that actually. So Judges 13, starting verse 3 through verse 7. Go ahead and read this. 
And the angel of the, angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel, Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. Who reacts like that? Who reacts by, because this, this, this entire encounter feels like she's just out, like sitting underneath a tree. He comes up, sits down, and be like, so you're barren. And she's just like, you're right. I am. And then it's like, goes and tells him, I was like, so I just met this guy. And he says, I'm going to have a kid. How cool is that? Like, she has like almost no reason to believe him. <laughs> you know, it's just the entire encounter is very odd, except for you have to put into context that we're not talking about an angel. We're talking specifically about angel of the Lord, which is a very different kind of conversation. This is the third time the character Angel of the Lord has shown up in Judges. Started in Judges 2 with Gideon. Just read just real quick. We don't have to bring it up or anything. Uh, now the Angel of the Lord went up from... Uh, well, hold on. Yeah, I'm going to read this part. Sorry. And he said, I brought you up from Egypt. This is the important part. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. Angel of the Lord does not speak like, and the Lord saith. That's not how he speaks. He says, I... I brought you. I saved you. That's what he says, right? He does it again. So in Judges 6, he does it again. Uh, but he, again, it's almost like this personification because he doesn't like show up with this. Like, he comes and just sets down next to Gideon. Kind of like God in the garden or Jesus walking among us. Anything like, you see where this is going? A lot of evidence points to the fact that angel of the Lord is specifically Jesus. Now, obviously, the text does not specifically say that. But it's generally assumed that that's who that is. Okay? This is Jesus. Or very well could be. Right here, in the middle of this narrative, in Judges. That's why Judges 13 is a big deal. Most of the things that I, I read in trying to prepare for this, everything, even um, uh, J.D. Greer to an extent kind of does it, uses chapter 13 as, this is the introduction to Samson. He was born. Next. And they just kind of go on. And not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. There's other really great uh, messages to bring out in the, in the coming chapters. And everything. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I, I think there's a very important thing happening here in chapter 13 with the angel of the Lord and the entire birth narrative that's happening here. There's too much overlap. There's too many connections here for us to just blow over and not recognize the possibility that it's happening. So no, it doesn't necessarily speak directly into the fact that that's who that is, but the evidence points to the fact that angel Lord could be simply Jesus having this conversation. Think about this. Take this entire interaction and compare it to the woman of the well. 
Okay? The entire interaction. This guy comes up, sits down, and says, you're barren. Very just to the point, almost seems rude, but it's, it's actually not, if you think about it in context, um, how she, he's uh, talking to Manoah's wife. And then you go to the woman of the well, and he goes, bring your husband. And she goes, I, I don't have a husband. And she's like, that's right, you don't. <laughs> and calls her out. Because he speaks with authority. And that's what we see here, too. The exact same thing. Speaks with authority. We're actually going to watch a video here in a moment because there is so much to unpack and talk about with the idea of the angel of the Lord that it would take the rest of our time. And there's other things I want to get to. So uh, we always like uh, the Bible Project videos, right? They do a really good job of taking these high-level, super complicated things, narrowing them down in about four minutes. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to watch a Bible Project video on the concept of the angel of the Lord. And we're going to come back to it and start to unpack just a little bit more. Are you ready? All right. Here we go. So, in the Bible, reality is made up of two overlapping realms. The heavens and the earth. Our space and God's space. And while life here on earth may seem ordinary, sometimes we can encounter heaven right here in our own realm. Yes, this happens a number of times in the Bible. And when it does, we often encounter a fascinating character. The angel of Yahweh. Or, in most translations of the Bible, the angel of the Lord. Now we've talked about angels. They're spiritual messengers who perform missions for God. But the angel of the Lord is no mere angel. How so? Well, every time he appears, he's described in a way that's purposefully puzzling. And it leaves you wondering, was that an angel sent by Yahweh? Or was that Yahweh himself? What do you mean? Here's one of many examples. In the book of Genesis, there's a story about Hagar, Abraham and Sarah's runaway Egyptian slave. And we read this. The angel of Yahweh called to Hagar. But then this angel speaks as if he is Yahweh, saying, I will give you many descendants. And then Hagar responds and says, you are God who sees me. So the angel of Yahweh is Yahweh. But that can't be. In the Bible, you can't see Yahweh or you'll die. Yeah. So this story and others like it are inviting us into a paradox. That Yahweh is above all, inaccessible to us. But sometimes he reveals himself to us in ways that we can see and understand. And that's where this character shows up. He's Yahweh made visible to us. Yes, distinct from Yahweh and also Yahweh. This is very similar to other biblical stories about prophets who get a glimpse into God's space, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, or Daniel. And what they see is a glorious human figure on a throne who's called Yahweh. So the one on the throne and the angel of Yahweh, this is the same person. Exactly. Watch all this come together in the famous story of Moses and the burning bush, where we read, The angel of Yahweh appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And when Yahweh saw that Moses stopped to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. So this person in the bush is called the angel of Yahweh, then Yahweh, and then God. And then later in the story, Moses learns that the figure in the burning bush is the one leading Israel out of Egypt in a pillar of fire and cloud. And that's the one who later takes up residence in the tabernacle. The tabernacle. This is the throne room of God himself. You got it. The angel of the Lord is the royal glory of Yahweh appearing as a human. Now, keep all this in mind as we start talking about Jesus. In the opening of the Gospel of John, we're told that from all eternity, Jesus was with God and was God. Distinct from God and also God. That's the same paradox we saw with the angel of Yahweh. Right. 
And then John says that God's word became human and set up a tabernacle among us. The temple presence of the invisible God. Exactly. Now check this out. There's a story about when Jesus took three of his followers up to a mountain and his true identity was revealed. He was transformed into a glorious human figure. Okay, I see what's going on here. So the angel of the Lord was God appearing like a human and Jesus is God now become a human. Yes. And notice this, in the New Testament, no one ever uses the phrase angel of the Lord to describe Jesus. Why not? Well, they wanted to avoid the idea that Jesus was merely an angel. For them, Jesus was Yahweh God become human in order to fulfill his ultimate mission to fully reunite heaven and earth once and for all. Bible Project videos are always very helpful when it comes to, especially things like this. Um, I mean, they have great videos on how to, you know, dive into actual books and things like that. But concepts like this are really great because it's hard for us to just in a, you know, 30 minute sermon or so, talk about things like this without having to unpack so much more, you know, just to kind of, so a quick video like this is helping us, you know, kind of get there because yeah, there's so much more that can be talked about. So that's why it's like, let's just watch the video. <laughs> it's super helpful. All right. <clears throat> so as you can see, there's an obvious connection here that's happening. And I like that the Bible Project points out that you don't really see the angel of the Lord being mentioned in the New Testament. Because uh, like the Bible, knowingly or unknowingly, whatever, right, made that switch, right? It's like, it's, it's not called the angel of the Lord anymore. It's called Jesus, you know? Uh, so uh, like I said, in, intentional and in, unintentional, maybe we'll, we'll never know this side of the grave, but uh, it's just super interesting stuff. And I think it helps us dive into the main point of Judges here, uh, or Judges 13 specifically. Um, and that is the, the main character and the, the main overall theme of this chapter actually has nothing to do with Samson, Okay. It, 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 the title of the entire chapter is called The Birth of Samson, okay? But that's like saying, like, the book of Acts is about the apostles, okay? Uh, we went through that, <laughs> okay? Um, that's not what the chapter is about. It's not about Manoah. It's not about Samson's mother. No, the story about, uh, chapter 13 is about God, okay? Is it about God redeeming his people through his people in spite of his people for himself, that's the point of chapter 13. And that's why we can't just blow over it. That's why we have to stop. We have to park on it. We have to talk about it. Because if that is the point of chapter 13, that is the idea, the concept, and the thing we are supposed to learn from the entire book. Because if Samson is the personification of the Israelites that we see through the entire book of Judges, this again is what we're supposed to learn. That's... In our sin, in our corruption, in our ability to forget God, put ourselves in God's seat on our own little fake throne, um, wearing our own little fake crowns, everything like that, our uh, want to do that, all we see is God saying, that's fine, I got a plan. Because that's eventually what we see. Because there's one other thing here when we're talking about the beginning part of chapter 13, when we start doing evil in the sight of the Lord again. Notice I said we and not Israel. When we start doing evil in the sight of the Lord again, in this particular chapter, there is no repentance. There is no repentance. It jumps 
straight into God supplying. And that's what we have to understand. In fact, I want to read Judges 13, specifically verse 5 real quick. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. Which, by the way, I thought about us reading the Nazarite oath together. Uh, just because we, we might know the story of Samson. We know that he's a Nazarite. Um, him and like uh, John the Baptist, for example, uh, both all Nazarites, right? Um, we, we know those things, but we're like, okay, but what is that? Um, so kind of went and read it. It's like basically all of Numbers chapter 6 if you'd like to read it for yourself. Um, there's not anything necessarily helpful apart from what we see in this chapter, okay? Uh, there's some sacrificial things that are pretty cool connections, but that's about it. Nothing super helpful. But if you want to read what the Nazarite oath actually is, that's number six. If you're a note taker, feel free to write that down. That's where you can find it, okay? So anyways, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God or a consecrated set apart, that's what Nazarite means, uh, to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistine. That's the big word. out of the entire chapter, begin. In this narrative, we see God supplying a quote-unquote savior in Samson from birth, apart from our own repentance, apart from anything we can do, apart from us actually coming to him saying, Lord, we need you. We need saved. We recognize that we are sinful. Apart from anything like that, the Lord still supplies a savior. And we see that again in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. What Samson begins in his birth, Christ finishes. The job that Samson is given to be able to free the Israelites from the Philistines, we don't even see completed in this book. We don't, we don't even see that portion of it completed until King David. But it is even from, the, another interesting point, then from David we have the lineage that leads us straight to Jesus Christ, who eventually saves us all apart from our own repentance, apart from anything we can do. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ, God, supplies. Apart from anything we can do. He is the only one. We see all the judges through this entire book leading up to this final judge of Samson that has so much imagery and so much connection to the person and mission of Jesus Christ, right? We, we can't skip over that. But we see all of these incomplete saviors and all of these judges, all of these prophets, all these characters through the entire Old Testament that leads us only to Jesus Christ, who is the only one that on, in Luke 19 can hang on a cross and say, it is finished. He's the only one. Everything else is incomplete. Everything else is going to be a half save at best. And that's why we can't blow over chapter 13. Because <laughs> we've got to grab a hold of that. That this cycle, you can bring it up if you want, but the cycle that we see is still happening.
sometime this week, you're going to forget God. I'm going to forget God. But thank God he provides a savior outside of myself. Psalm 62, our salvation comes from the Lord, not from us. It doesn't come from us. He's the only one that can claim it is finished. He's the only one that saves. So one final point we want to make here in Judges 13. And it's at the end of the chapter. It's just kind of another way that the author kind of hits this home that I want us to kind of understand. And it's, um, there, cause there's so many connections in 13, right? I mean, there's the messianic connections, there's tribal prophecy, there's sacrificial prophecy that you can pull out of it. So much really cool stuff. Right. And at the very end, starting in verse 19 through verses 23 is when we see Manoah and his wife make a sacrifice to God. Let's, let's read that real quick. Starting on verse 19. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. Now we have fear. Now we have fear. Okay? Now we fully understand what this being is. We fully understand what he is capable of. We fully understand what he will do for us, as Manoah's wife points out. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. And Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering in our, at our hands, or shown us all of these things, or now announced to us such things as these. Wise words. Now we have fear. Now we recognize God. Now we recognize who he is. We have fear. We have trembling, right? There's that emotional reaction to what they've seen. They're afraid that they're going to die. But Manoah's wife is wise enough to recognize that a proper sacrifice saves your life. Jesus is that only proper sacrifice that can save our lives. Without him, we're as good as dead. Our sin will only lead to death. Romans 12 tells us that we should be set apart, right? We are set apart because of him, because what he can do, because outside of him is death. It is only his sacrifice that allows us to live. And even though she doesn't get a name, she's the wisest character in the book right? Because again, the focus isn't on her, but what God does and is doing through this miraculous event that we're able to witness through scripture. That it is all 
his doing. And just like the Israelites where we see it goes over and over in a cycle and things get worse and worse and worse. Maybe that's something we need to ask ourselves this morning. How are things getting worse and worse and worse in your life? You, you just keep sitting back and you're just praying. It's like, when is that turning point? When, when is this going to be over? Lord, when are you finally going to show up and grant peace? And we ask ourselves, what judge are you following? What incomplete savior are you following or praying to or trying to, to, to get that satisfaction from in your life? realizing that it's only a shadow of the Savior that's actually to come, but also the one that you should be trusting in. Whether it be a judge or the, you know, the Old Testament prophets, anything like that. The Israelites were bad about that kind of stuff, right? And for us, it could be um, our teachers, our parents, your pastors, whatever. Like what false Savior or incomplete Savior are you trusting in? And as long as you put your trust in something that isn't complete and holy and in the person of Jesus Christ to actually completely cleanse you of your sins, your peace will always be incomplete, both internally and with God. Because that's what we get through Jesus. Not just internal peace, but literally peace, like a war peace with God. That is, that's peace. He's no longer like against us, at war with us. That's what we get in the person of Jesus Christ. So maybe that's something you can think on this week as worship team comes back up. What, what incomplete savior are you trusting in? Are you trusting in a Samson? A face heel, face seal, right? Caught in the drama, right? Pro wrestling is nothing but live theater, by the way. Um, sorry, Oliver. Um, <laughs> Uh, but what are you trusting in that's causing false peace, a false sense of security? Knowing that the entire biblical narrative is something that points to Jesus. The whole thing. It's one continuous narrative. So, yeah, there are times where maybe we're, like, we're reading something. It's like, well, yeah, you know, it's in there, sort of. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, maybe we shouldn't pull that out. It's like, no, this one is, is very obvious. He's there. He's here. Trust in him, not an incomplete savior. So maybe this is something you can, uh, like I said, pray on with your seat, or if there's someone you uh, want to lock eyes with, make it super uncomfortable, go over and pray with them, whatever you'd like to do. Uh, this is your time to respond. Um, and just feel free to do that however you feel like you need. Okay? Okay.